Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. To many Americans, Dan, the Constitution and civil rights are for Americans. And that means that they're not for Muslims. And we hear that uh, from some of our political contenders. We hear that kind of uh, call a spade a spade bigotry. And so I want to try to cut through some of that today. And I've invited Fatima Dadaboy, Senior Civil Rights Attorney with CARE, Council on American-Islamic Relations here in the greater L.A., Los Angeles office. I've invited Fatima to join us on Freedom's Ring and talk a little bit about the experience of Muslims here in America. Fatima, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And, um, you know, our organizations have worked together on, on some civil rights issues and legislative work and such, but I think most Americans are really pretty ignorant of the Muslim American experience. Uh, for starters, I don't know if you have a grasp of sort of statistics, but I'm guessing that um, the majority of Muslims in America are American-born uh, rather than immigrant. Is that correct? Um, yes, I would definitely say that's correct. I think uh, one of the biggest misconceptions of uh, the American Muslim population is that it's just a homogenous population. We think of them as mostly being Arab or Middle Eastern descent, when actually the population is very diverse in the, the United States. Um, over a third of the demographic is actually African-American, and most of the, uh, and all of those people were born here. And then you have um, South Asians is a, another group that's almost like 30%. And then you have, you know, Middle Eastern, Arab, and uh, people from Southeast Asia, uh, Indonesia. So it, it's a very diverse population, I think, that's one of the things that gets uh, forgotten when we're discussing uh, Muslim Americans. And, yeah, I think most Americans don't realize that the country with the largest number of Muslims is actually Indonesia. It's not a Middle Eastern country at all. Right. You have more uh, uh, Indonesian Muslims in the world and even uh, South Asian. You think of India and 10% of their population is Muslim, and that's almost, uh, you know, uh, the huge, uh, that's a country with a billion people. Right. So uh, 10% is a huge amount there, too. Sure, sure. So, I mean, here in California, then, uh, you know, we know that Silicon Valley has a lot of techie types from India. Uh, no doubt some of those are Muslim. Mm hmm that's exactly. And uh, Northern California is also home to a large Afghan population. Um, there's Muslims from a lot of this area that we sometimes don't typically um, think of as being Muslim countries. Obviously, Afghanistan we do, but um, a lot of Indian Muslims um, live in live in the Bay Area, and uh, we have uh, I think in Southern California uh, similar where we have a lot of South Asian uh, a large South Asian population. So you know, I guess you know to cut to the chase. It's only been a few weeks since the um, uh, episode in San Bernardino. And that struck pretty close to home because there's a large Seventh-day Adventist community um, there in Loma Linda, and some of those 
in the facility that was attacked uh, were members of, of my denomination. In fact, one of them went to school with my colleague's wife. And so, you know, there's, <clears throat> a, you know, a sense of, of connection to those who were attacked. And, and of course, it's generated a great deal of fear and anger among Americans that you have uh, folks attacking Americans who are doing so from a, an ideological basis. But um, how do you, as, you know, as a Muslim civil rights leader, you know, what do you say to Americans who are just afraid and angry? I think that um, there's a few things to be remembered is that the, the American Muslims are also affected by this tragedy, not just as um, they're, they're part of the same community that's being affected. They felt the loss of the lives in San Bernardino, um, not identifying with the perpetrators of the shooting, but as identifying with the victims of the shooting, and their hearts went out to them. We had local efforts where um, the community raised almost $200,000 for the for the victims' families. So they were affected as local community members because it, it did happen in their hometown, um, and they felt that hurt, but they also felt that um, fear of backlash as well. So I think the important thing to remember is that American Muslims are part of your local communities, and they are being, um, they're not outsiders. They are as much impacted as other Americans are by these tragedies. And it's important to remember that, you know, we're not, um, we're not, uh, not to fall victim to otherizing them and saying that they're not part of the community and that they're not the same. I think that's the most important thing that we need to remember is that it's not, Muslims don't identify with terrorism in a more uh, specific way than other communities might. It's, it's not something that's innate. Um, it's not a homogenous population. You know, Fatima, listening to you, I'm reminded that when I see people doing stupid things or violent things who are identified as Christians, I get angry and I get offended because I know that they're giving Christianity a bad name. And I suspect, you know, listening to you, that when American Muslims see people behaving badly, like the, the folks did in San Bernardino, and being identified as Muslim, that, um, you know, Muslims are angry and upset that their faith is being hijacked and given such a bad name, and, and all of the implications of that for their daily lives. Is that a fair perception? Um, that's, that's exactly it. You hit the nail on the head. It's in terms of every time there's some kind of incident, it was after the Paris attacks, we already saw things getting worse. And then almost on the heels of that, you had the San Bernardino shooting. And each time Muslims, uh, it's just a reaction that, please don't let this, um, you know, the perpetrator have been a Muslim. And then having to deal with the backlash of that and having on one hand, trying to, um, you know, having to condemn those attacks but not identifying with the people. So why do we have, uh, it's this feeling of why do I have to take responsibility for some, for people who don't represent my religion, my religion is about, that's not who I am. I don't feel sympathy for these people. And getting on the defensive and not being able to grieve in just the, the way that the community is grieving. So um, it's a perpetual cycle where, 
you just feel very disempowered at constantly um, having people misinterpret your religion, act out violently um, by twisting the ideology of it, and then having to um, justify it or uh, explain that that's not what your religion is really about. And I think that to some extent, Americans, um, they don't want to hear people saying Islam is a religion of peace. They want to just dismiss that kind of uh, statement out of hand. And they assume that that's not valid and that they know what Islam is about better than Muslim leaders who are trying to explain it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, we're probably as tired saying Islam is a religion of peace as people are of hearing it because it's, the message doesn't seem to be getting across. And if I held up, you know, the KKK as representative or, or Westboro Baptist Church as representatives of the Christian religion, you know, people wouldn't be saying, no, that's not our religion. I mean, they would be up the norm saying that those people aren't representative of us. Um, you know, our religion is of peace. And that, that's the same message that we're trying to get across is that, you know, these uh, terrorist groups, ISIS, they don't represent us. Um, and there's, it, it's really difficult when you're saying the same thing, but the message isn't coming through. It's similar to, you know, we say Islam is a religion of peace, and then we also um, tell people after these attacks that we do condemn them, and we still get the messages that where are the Muslim leaders condemning these acts? Why aren't they standing up against it and telling us that they don't uh, that they oppose terrorism? And it's a cycle that we keep saying it and nobody's hearing it. And I think that the same message is, you know, they're sticking to they don't want to hear the idea that Islam is peaceful, that it doesn't um, advocate for violence in a way that's uh, unique to to the religion itself. So, as I've been thinking about the growing intolerance here in America towards the Islamic community, it's starting to feel a bit like 1933 to me. And, you know, I've thought a lot and preached quite a bit about the process in Germany whereby Jews were ostracized and scapegoated. And, you know, there was about a decade period before uh, the trains and the concentration camps and the gas chambers and all of that. And in this context, I'm thinking, well, what can we do to combat the intolerance? And I guess the one idea that I came up with is to encourage churches to reach out to the Islamic communities, to the mosques in their towns, and to start just getting acquainted, doing things together, doing community service together, um, having some programs together where they can get better acquainted. Because, you know, we hate people that we don't know or that, you know, we fear people that we don't know. And if we can put a, a face and a name and a smile, uh, that's going to go a long way towards breaking down these barriers and, and this intolerance. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that's on the right track? I think that's completely on the right track. I think one of the biggest issues is um, so many people have never met a Muslim before. They and the only thing that they're they know about Islam or Muslims comes from watching the news or watching you know videos on the internet. And there's there's just a lack of being able to 
humanize them. So if you're only hearing messages and those messages are skewed in a certain way, you're not going to identify with that group of people. Uh, it's not, and it's not just. Uh, I mean, mosques and Muslim communities need to reach out as well. In Southern California, we have like open mosque days, and um, you know where all the mosques organize these um, days where people in the community can come in. And I think that's that's where we need to be focusing our attention is to identify with Muslims as humans, as other as people in our community, and learn about them on that individual level. Um, and I think that takes away a lot of the fear factor when you can see, like, oh, this person is a, you know, a teacher in my community or a doctor in my community, and putting a face to them and, um, you know, recognizing them as a fellow human and a fellow American, and rather than um, fearing them as this foreign, exotic, violent person that they see on the news. Sure. And, you know, it seems to me if we have our communities work together with things like you know, feeding the hungry and the homeless and those sorts of things, as we express compassion, that's going to break down prejudice as well. Well, there's so much more we could talk about. My guest today, Fatima Dadaboy, Senior Civil Rights Attorney with the Council on American-Islamic Relations here in Southern California. Thanks so much for being with us on Freedom's Ring today, Fatima. Thank you so much for inviting me. And as we close... We want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We offer help to those suffering religious discrimination. And I might add, we help people of all faiths. And so check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org, www.churchstate.org. Don't forget to email me at mrliberty at churchstate.org with your suggestion for what you perceive to be the number one religious freedom problem in America today. Thank you for listening, and Freedom's Ring is now available on SoundCloud on the Internet. Check out our Freedom's Ring SoundCloud radio station. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.